You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. So their original condition was favored status. They were a divine nation. They had a divine God. God said, you will be my people and I will be your God. God chose them, but they rejected God. You can read all through the scriptures. It says that Israel continued to reject God. They rejected him all through the scriptures. And every time something would happen to them after their rejection, they would repent. They would cry out to God and he would come back and bring them back in and love them again. And then they would reject them again. God's love for you knows no bounds. In today's message from Pastor Dave, he shares with you the beautiful truth that no matter if you've gone away from the Lord, you can return back to Him. He waits for you as He did with the Israelites. God will always receive you if you repent and turn back to His loving arms. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 3 as he begins his message, Times of Restoration. Today, we're going to be looking in Acts 3, verses 21 to 26. We should probably complete the chapter today. So if you'll read uh, silently, I'll read aloud. Acts 3, 21. Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from their brethren. Him you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in all your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So how many of you have ever restored a piece of furniture? How many of you ever tried to take a piece of furniture and restore it? Do you have any kind of luck? It's a hard process, and it can be fun if you really like that kind of stuff, but it can be a very, very hard process. The restoration of furniture is a difficult process. I have to say, many times I have tried that myself. And as my tenure as a teacher at Wildwood, I have helped many a student finish a piece of furniture and even do some furniture restoration. It's no easy task, as I said, and there are many steps that need to be followed in order to accomplish the desired outcome. The first step when you refinish furniture is you have to remove the old finish. There are several common ways that you can do this. First of all, you can use a commercial Stain remover. You know, it comes in a liquid or a gel, and you apply it to the piece, and then you have to wait a while. And then after that, you take a scraper, and you scrape it off, sometimes wiping it off. I've never found many of these to work very well. In fact, many of them, you need to do it many times, constantly doing this. Some of them are quite caustic, and you need to wear gloves and stuff because you get burnt if you're not careful. But we do this. So the stain remover loosens the existing finish, and you remove it eh, not too easily sometimes. So... We have to repeat the process several times. The second way 
Or another way to finish uh, old furniture is just to sand it off. You take a sander or some sandpaper and you just go a long time. This is time consuming. And this takes a long time and also hurts your hands for a while. And I really need to have that elbow grease to take care of that. And you go through many, many different sandpapers. You're all sitting there shaking your head. So I know you know what I'm talking about because you've probably tried it. You probably have the skin knuckles to prove it and the arms and the aches to show for it, right? And all these piles of old sandpaper left after you've done this and the chair or the furniture is still not refinished, right? That happens. But I found that a combination of both of these usually works real well. After the old stain is removed, then you still have to sand the project because it has to be smooth. You've got to get it all smooth now so that you can apply the new finish. This, again, is time-consuming. You have to go through various grits of sandpaper. You go from a real, real rough grit down to a real, real fine grit to get a nice, smooth surface on the project. But you have to go through a lot of things. And the next step after that is you've got to get all that sawdust off the project. It's got to be completely clean. And you, you do a couple of different things, you know, you can, you can wipe it down with uh, so a damp rag. They also make special cloths for that, they're called tack cloths, and they're sticky. And you can wipe the project down, and it takes all the sawdust onto the cloth, and you get that. Then you're ready to apply the finish. Even the finish is in steps. You can't just put one coat on and go, oh, that looks nice. No, you probably put one coat on it, then you got to take some steel wool or some sandpaper, rough that up, put another coat on it, you got to do this a couple times until you get the desired look. And then eventually you put this finished coat on it where it really looks pretty. You get some wax and you wax it all up and there you have your finished project. Really cool. It's a lot of fun. When you're done, you've taken the old piece of furniture and you've made it almost like new. You've made it almost like new. And sometimes it might even look better than it did before. Your objective was to restore this piece of furniture. My brother-in-law used to be a furniture restorator. He had a business where he restored furniture. And people would call him. People would call him on the phone and they would say, I have a mar. A mar is a scrape or something. I have a scratch. I have a nick. I have a cigarette burn in this beautiful piece of furniture. Can you fix it? And he would go to their home with this kit. And he would open up this kit and he would take out all these wonderful things, all these secret ingredients, and he would work on this problem. And when he was done, you couldn't tell where the old furniture was and where he did his work. It looked beautiful. He had completely restored it. There was usually no trace of the problem there. So restoration is the act of being restored. And to restore means to bring back to the original condition. Can we agree upon that? That's what restoration means. In the last couple of weeks, we've been studying the miracle of the lame man in front of the gate beautiful. What a wonderful time it has been for me. After this man was healed, he accompanied Peter and John into the temple, something he had never done before. This gets the attention of those who are in the temple, those saying they became greatly amazed. They saw this man leaping and jumping and praising God, hanging on to the apostles. Peter, as we know, seizes an opportunity and begins to speak to the men who are now assembled in a section known as Solomon's Porch. These men are on Solomon's porch, and they've noticed that this man clinging to Peter and John is indeed the same 40, a man who for 40 years has been at the gate beautiful with his hand out collecting alms. They recognize him, but there's something different about the man. Obviously, there's a huge difference because the man is walking. He has never walked before. He had been restored. He had been made whole. Peter says, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently at us as though... Our own godliness has made this man walk. 
We read that in Acts 3.12. Peter continues to tell them who indeed healed this man and how he was healed. He tells them that it was the risen Jesus and that this man had been restored by faith, faith in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. He said, Jesus is your Messiah, the one you rejected. You denied him because you failed to recognize him as your Messiah. You did it out of ignorance. You lacked knowledge. You didn't know what you were doing. You crucified the Messiah because you lacked knowledge. And so did your rulers who should have known better. Peter told them that they lacked the knowledge that was necessary to believe upon Jesus Christ. We said last week that Peter played the prosecution attorney, he played the defense attorney, and he played the part of pardoning judge when he told them what they must do to enjoy the times of refreshing, the times of refreshing that would come by the presence of the Lord. That's where our times of refreshing come. They come from the presence of the Lord. And we said that the Holy Spirit in us is the presence of the Lord, and that is wherein our times of refreshing lie. So we don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And we certainly don't want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which is to reject Jesus totally. Those are the things we talked about. But Peter goes on to tell them that individually, as well as a nation, if they would repent, if they would be converted, if they would believe and accept by faith that Jesus is the Christ. Christ is the Greek word Christos. It means Messiah. Christ means Messiah. It is who he is. We get confused when we say the Lord Jesus Christ. We think that that is his whole name. That Lord is his first name, Jesus is his middle name, and Christ is his last name. His name is Jesus, and he will come to save his people. Lord is his title. Christ is who he is. He is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. And I challenge you to call him Lord, because that's his title. His name is Jesus. He said that if you would believe upon Jesus Christ, if you would believe him as your Messiah, then guess what? Jesus would return and set up his kingdom right now, today. He says that in verses 20, 21. And he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets since the world began. We know that heaven received Jesus Christ. We read about it in Acts 1, 9 through 11. The ascension of Jesus Christ when the disciples were standing there and all the 120 were standing there and all of a sudden Jesus was ascended into heaven. He was lifted up by God, the Holy Spirit, and he went into heaven. But Jesus was preached to them before. They heard about this Jesus the entire time he walked the face of the earth. They saw the miracles he did and they heard him speak with their own ears. They knew about him but they rejected him and refused to believe him. What are these times of restoration that Peter's talking about here in verse 21? What are the times of restoration? Last week we had the times of refreshing. Now Peter says the times of restoration. What is he talking about here? And to to whom is he talking about this times of restoration to? In fact, that's the title of today's message, is times of restoration. And we're going to look at this because I believe that there's a twofold application here. I believe there's a two-fold application here, and I will try to prove that by the scriptures that we have in front of us. The first application is the restoration of the nation Israel. That's the first application, the restoration of the nation Israel. Peter is addressing a group of Jews. What was Israel's condition at this time? They were God's chosen people. They were still God's chosen people. This was their original condition. God chose Israel. And we said this on, on Wednesday night several times. 
If you can't reconcile that God chose Israel because he's God and he's sovereign, you're going to have a hard time with a lot of things that God does. Why did God choose Israel? Because he's God. And that's the bottom line. I'm not trying to be flippant, but that's the bottom line. Because he's God and his sovereignty, he chose this nation. So their original condition was favored status. They were a divine nation. They had a divine God. God said, you will be my people and I will be your God. God chose them. But they rejected God. You can read all through the scriptures. It says that Israel continued to reject God. They rejected him all through the scriptures. And every time something would happen to them after their rejection, they would repent. They would cry out to God and he would come back and bring them back in and love them again. And then they would reject them again. Interesting that the original King James version of this scripture that we're looking at, the word translated here as restoration is restitution. Listen to the definition of restitution. The definition of restitution is the restoration of something to its rightful owner. God is going to restore Israel. He's going to make restitution to Israel and bring them back to the rightful owner. Who is the rightful owner of Israel? God. God is the rightful owner of Israel, and he will do this. This is what Peter's talking about. And this is what Peter's talking about when he says, all the prophets... All the prophets in the Old Testament spoke of this restoration. Every prophet. You know, and I did a study. I started going through the book. I started throwing through the Bible. And I started going through, and this is what I came up with. In the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. In the minor prophets, Hosea, Amos, Micah, Joel, Zechariah, and Malachi. When you read them, they all talk about two things. The rejection of Israel to God and God's restoration to the nation Israel. They all talk about the same thing. Israel will reject God and has rejected God. But God will restore them. God will restore them. But they also said, because of this rejection, Israel's going to be dispersed. They're going to be scattered all over the world. They're going to become a curse and a byword. They're going to be burned in ovens, and the prophets foretold this. All these prophesied things have come true. But each of the prophets who foretold of the tragic and misery to the Jews also saw a light, also saw a light far off in the darkness when God would once again take his unfaithful bride, clean her up, dress her up, and receive her again to his own, which is the nascent Israel. God would restore the unfaithful wife to her previous position. All the prophets speak of this restoration of God's work and grace to the nation Israel. This is what is referred to as the times of restoration. That's what all the prophets speak about. Very interesting and very, very sad that upon this little scripture, a whole doctrine has been developed. An entire doctrine of heresy has been developed that says he will restore all things, including Satan. Satan will bow down and confess his sin, and God will restore him. This is nonsense. This is not biblical at all. It has no biblical basis at all, for all you have to do is read the book of Revelation to find out that this is an untrue thing. The restoration of all things is the nation Israel. It's not Satan will not be restored. Satan's going to be thrown in a lake of fire. And all those who denounce Christ will be thrown in there with him. So God is saying, I'm going to restore, but I'm going to restore the nation Israel. I'm not going to restore Satan. So don't get caught up in these, these crazy things that come out there. You've got to look and see what the Bible says about it. That's why we're students of the Word of God. We need to be, rightly divide the Word of God and correctly look at it. But Satan wants us to believe otherwise. Satan wants to believe that he's going to be forgiven. He's going to be, you know, he's going to bow and confess. 
Well, he may bow and confess because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but he's going to be gone. He's not going to be restored. You won't find this doctrine as you go through the scriptures of the prophets of the Old Testament. The restitution of God is the restitution of the nation Israel, which is going to come. Now, as I was going through this restitution and restoration process and looking at it, I came across some really poignant scriptures in the book of Joel. In prophet Joel, in fact, in Joel 2, 12 and 13, listen to what he says. This is what the prophet's saying. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. So rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Remember our definition last week of repent? I told you what repent was not first. I said repent was not just feeling remorse or feeling sorry for that you got caught. Remorse wasn't regret. Remorse wasn't resolved trying to do better. Oh, I'll do better next time. True repentance was mourning your sinful nature before God. True repentance is returning to the Lord. A change of thinking, a change of direction, which always changes your heart. Because it's a matter of the heart. And you know, it's funny because it says, rend your heart, not your clothes. How many times during the scriptures do you see when something happens that's not going the way of the religious leaders or not going the way of certain Jews, what do they do? The first thing they do is they start to tear their clothes. And this is an act of disgust. This is an act of, of, of just, ah, I can't believe you're doing this. And they start ripping their clothes off. They did that when Jesus was before them. When Jesus said who he was, they ripped their clothes. They, it's called rending your clothes. The prophet Joel says, don't rent your clothes. Rent your heart. Break up the fallow ground in your heart and let it be restored by the loving God. Because it's in that matter of the heart. It's always a matter of the heart because the Lord wants us to rend our hearts because in the heart is where true repentance takes place. True repentance takes place in the heart. I get this from Psalm 51, verse 7, when David is pleading to the Lord after he was found out about his, his sin with Bathsheba. He's pleading to God. And listen to what he says in verse 7. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O Lord, you will not despise. God is looking for true repentance, and true repentance comes from the heart. Oh, you can be outwardly sorry. You can be outwardly regretful. You can be outwardly remorseful, and you can resolve never to do it again. But what does your heart say about the sin? What does your heart say about the things in your life that you're doing that you know are against God? God's saying, rent your hearts. Rent your hearts. Get right before me. You know, this speaks of a real desperation before God. It's sad that many times God has to bring us into this desperate area before we will rent our hearts open. Have you ever been desperate before God? Have you ever gotten down on your knees and been desperate before God? I have to admit, there have been several times in my life where I have been desperate before God. And my heart was breaking for the sin that I was in. And I was crying out to a loving, living God because of my destitute and desperate situation that He would do something. And I can testify to you that every single time I cried out, he met me in a most dramatic way. He was there when I cried out to him, and I said, oh Lord, my heart is aching for you. I want to be right with you, and I want my life to be an example of your love in my life. Help me, Lord, for I am helpless to do it myself. Boom, he's there in an instant. God meets you right where you are. In the middle of a sin, in the middle of desperation, God meets you. We need to know that. 
We need to know that we can always return to God, that we can always come back to God. You've never gone too far away where you cannot return to the loving God. We'll talk about that in a little while. But as we continue to look in this scripture of Joel, specifically in verse 13 when he says, God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, great in kindness, and he relents from doing good. Wow, do you get a beautiful picture of God's grace? You get a wonderful picture of what God is doing in our lives. He is slow to anger. He's gracious. He's merciful. Nothing but kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Do you think God wants to send his wrath upon the earth? No. But he will because his judgment is righteous. His judgment is true. And he needs to make atonement for the sin. And you're going to pay him either one way or the other. And you either face God's wrath or right now you have God's grace. He will. A beautiful picture of God's grace. And truly, God has suffered a long time with the nation Israel, but he will restore them again. We read about this restoration process in the New Testament. Look at the writings of Paul when he writes to the church of Rome in the 11th chapter of Romans. In the 11th chapter of Romans, he says, blindness has happened to Israel in part until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. We're going to talk about that part in a minute. Israel is blind until all the Gentiles come in. We'll talk about that. And so it is written that all Israel will be saved. For there shall come a deliverer out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Romans 11, 25 and 26. He says God will make restitution of the nation Israel. When? When the fullness of the Gentiles come in. When we've been raptured and we're out of here, when the age of grace is over, God will now turn his sights on Israel, and there'll be a seven-year period where he deals with the nation Israel. It's called the tribulation, three and a half years. The second three and a half years is called the great tribulation. A time of great sorrow. A time of woe. A time when the earth will be in a holocaust like it's never seen before. But God will mainly do that for the nation Israel. He devotes seven years to them. Remember, seven is always God's perfect number. It's a number of completeness. And at the end of those seven years, God will have completed the restoration of Israel. And Jesus will return to earth. Jesus will return to earth on Mount Zion, on the Mount of Olives, and split it in two. And Jesus will return. Jesus even speaks about this. Jesus even speaks about this process in Matthew 23, verses 37 and 39. Jesus is speaking to the multitudes, and he's speaking to his disciples. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I've wanted to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. He's talking to Israel. He's talking to Jerusalem. See, your house is left desolate. For I say to you, you shall not see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Israel rejected their Messiah. Israel rejected the one who came, the anointed one, the holy one of God. They rejected him. Peter goes on to tell them that even Moses spoke of Jesus. Moses foretold of the Messiah who would come. Look what he says in verse 22 and 23, back in Acts 3 now. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, and whatever he says to do to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. You are assured. 
Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? He met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is. The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through AsureHopeRadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again, right here on Assure Hope.